This is Morning Edition on NHPR, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. I'm Julia Furukawa, filling in for Rick Ganley. It's election season, and today we want to take a closer look at how an organizing effort around one particular policy is playing out on the campaign trail in New Hampshire. There have been many attempts to pass right-to-work legislation in New Hampshire over the years, but they've always failed. New Hampshire Bulletin's Amanda Goki reports that could change depending on the outcome of this upcoming election. She joins us now to share her findings. Hey, Amanda. Hi, Julia. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Amanda, first, can you explain right to work for those who aren't familiar with the concept? Absolutely. So right now, private sector unions can require non-members to contribute to the cost of labor negotiations. Right-to-work legislation would stop unions from requiring non-members to pay dues. Unions say that non-members should contribute to the cost of collective bargaining since the union is negotiating on their behalf, even if they choose not to be a member. The idea is that if unions can't charge non-members, the non-members will get a free ride and get the benefits of union negotiations without contributing to the cost of it. And that could disincentivize people from joining the union in the first place, And the concern is that this would weaken their bargaining power. And why hasn't right-to-work passed in New Hampshire before? It's a policy favored by many Republican politicians across the country. And Republicans have had the majority in the state legislature many times in the past 30 years. So even though many Republicans have supported right-to-work, they haven't had enough votes to pass the legislation in the past. And that's because of the Republicans who oppose right-to-work. So in 2017, even though the Republicans had a 50-seat majority, 32 Republicans joined the Democrats in defeating right-to-work. That margin was smaller in 2021 when 21 Republicans voted against it. But they still had enough votes to defeat it by 24 votes. So Republicans who oppose right-to-work say it aligns with their Republican values, and they see themselves as the working man's party, and they say that a lot of their Republican constituents are also involved with unions. So they want to see them continue to have a strong presence in the state. Groups like Americans for Prosperity are trying to change this. What is the organization's argument in support of right-to-work, and how have they been organizing in New Hampshire this campaign season? So Americans for Prosperity is a libertarian conservative group that's funded by the Koch brothers, and it's been operating in New Hampshire since 2010. They believe that right to work would make for a stronger workforce and draw more businesses and jobs to the state. They point to non-union members who don't feel that the union is representing their interests in negotiations and who could feel bitter or even resentful about having to pay to support that union. They say that right to work isn't union busting, but that unions are the best when they're voluntary. And they say it would eliminate the strife between people who are part of a union and those who aren't. Up until 2020, the organization's strategy was to support policies and not candidates. But in 2020, they started endorsing candidates who they believed would champion their policy preferences. So campaign finance has become a big part of their approach, and they started spending money to support candidates that they endorsed. So they've spent over $1 million between the 2020 and 2022 election. Amanda, you talked with Republicans who say they lost their seats because of Americans for Prosperity. What did you hear from them? So these Republicans said they can't compete with the outside money that's coming in and influencing the outcome of elections. They pointed to things like mailers that were paid for by Americans for Prosperity, promoting the candidates that they had endorsed, or even paid canvassers. 
Some representatives, like Dennis Acton, who's a Republican from Fremont, said he was bombarded by Americans for Prosperity during the primary because he had opposed right to work. Americans for Prosperity outspent Acton in the primary. They paid for around $6,400 in mailers, canvassing, and digital ads in support of his opponent, Emily Phillips. And Acton said he only raised around $2,250, and that was enough to pay for one pretty small round of mailers to around 750 households. Another representative, Brody Deshays of Wolfboro, also lost his seat to a candidate endorsed by Americans for Prosperity. And Deshays said outside groups have realized how cheap it is to buy a seat in the New Hampshire House and that they can actually use it as a tool to change the state's policy. And then another Republican, James Allard, said that Americans for Prosperity has succeeded in replacing moderate Republicans with those who hold more extreme views. He's worried that if the Republicans win the majority, this will result in more radical legislation that's out of step with what the average New Hampshire citizen wants to see in the state house. All right. What did Americans for Prosperity have to say about this? So Americans for Prosperity State Director Greg Moore said that the organization is willing to try any idea that will help them achieve their policy goals. They endorse candidates who they believe will champion their preferred policies and help the organization to advance its agenda. Then they do what it takes to get that candidate elected. They calculate how much they need to spend to win the race. And instead of donating to a campaign and leaving it up to the candidate to decide how they're going to run that campaign, they'll just spend independently on behalf of the candidate. And Moore said it's been a winning strategy. Um, So in the primary, for example, Americans for Prosperity endorsed 25 candidates and 21 of them won their primary. What does all this mean for right to work in the next legislative session? Is it more likely to pass this time around? So this means that it's likely that there will be less Republican opposition to right to work in the upcoming session. Of course, whether it passes will also depend on whether the Republicans retain the majority. So a lot sort of remains to be seen based on what happens in the upcoming general election. Amanda Gogi is a reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thank you for joining us, Amanda. Thanks for having me, Julia. And you can find more of Amanda's reporting at NewHampshireBulletin.com. This is the New Hampshire News Recap on NHPR. What questions do you have about what's going on in the state? You can email us at voices at nhpr.org. Reproductive rights are a central issue in this year's election, amid a shifting legal landscape on abortion at the state and federal level. In the New Hampshire governor's race, both candidates describe themselves as pro-choice. But how do incumbent Governor Chris Sununu and his Democratic challenger, State Senator Tom Sherman, differ on abortion access? Paul Kuno Booth covers health and equity for NHPR, and he took a closer look at each candidate's position on the issue. I talked with him about his reporting earlier this week. Here's our conversation. Paul, to start, how are the candidates for governor talking about abortion in this year's campaign? So Governor Sununu says he opposes abortions later in pregnancy, but supports abortion rights before that point. And that's about where New Hampshire law is now. That's thanks to a ban on most abortions after 24 weeks that the governor signed last year. That law has really become the most significant source of division between Sununu and Sherman in this year's campaign. Sherman has criticized the governor for signing that law. He says the government has no business interfering in that kind of health care decision. And more broadly, he says the state should be doing more to protect abortion access. 
So you, you kind of mentioned this, Paul. New Hampshire passed a law in 2021 banning nearly all abortions in the state after 24 weeks. Do Sununu or Sherman support any further changes to that law? Yeah. And, and just to remind everyone, this is a law that Sununu signed after Republican lawmakers attached it to the state budget. Sununu has really emphasized that point at times, saying, you know, this wasn't his idea. Um, at the same time, he has said it's a reasonable restriction that he mostly agreed with. Um, since the law passed, Sununu has supported some changes, um, including removing an ultrasound requirement and adding an exception for fatal fetal anomalies. We should note Sherman also voted for those changes. Looking ahead, Sununu says he would support additional changes, including an exemption for abortions after 24 weeks in cases of rape and incest. Um, he would also support removing criminal penalties for doctors who uh, perform abortions outside of what the law allows. Sherman says he wants the law repealed altogether. He says it can really complicate things for patients and their doctors, um, can make it harder to treat, you know, potentially serious health issues that arise later in pregnancy. You know, he says that's because doctors might be concerned about running afoul of this law and, and the potential criminal penalties in it. Paul, how have both candidates responded to the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade? So abortion does remain legal in New Hampshire up to 24 weeks, but it is not explicitly protected in state law. Uh, both candidates say they would sign a bill codifying those rights under state law. Um, another big question after the fall of Roe v. Wade is whether states like Texas will try to prosecute residents from those states who seek abortions in other states um, or go after abortion providers in other states. So here the candidates are somewhat aligned on their policy positions, but um, differ a bit in their approach. Sununu says New Hampshire won't cooperate with those types of out-of-state abortion prosecutions. At the same time, he has resisted calls from Democrats to issue a formal executive order on that point. Sherman says he would take executive action on day one to prohibit state agencies from cooperating in those types of investigations. What do Sununu and Sherman say they'll do if the state legislature tries to put in place further restrictions on abortion in New Hampshire? Both campaigns told us they would refuse to sign any new abortion restrictions into law. Uh, Democrats have pointed out that Sununu said back in 2020 that he didn't plan on making any changes to abortion laws and then uh, signed that 24-week ban less than a year later. Um, and again, Sununu has said he didn't propose that ban, but also didn't want to veto the whole budget over it, and has said he fundamentally agrees with that policy. Paul Kuno Booth covers health and equity for NHPR. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thank you. To find more of Paul's reporting and NHPR's election coverage, you can visit nhpr.org. And next, we have a story from NHPR's Gabby Losada. It's Hispanic Heritage Month, and to celebrate, Gabby brings us the music of a Bolivian folk group in New Hampshire. Jose Lopez Carrasco has a hundred chickens in his backyard in Litchfield, where every Sunday, the 60 members of his family gather to hear the brothers play. That is Dennis playing the pan flute and his uncle Javier in the drums. Jorge plays the charango and Jose the guitar. They call their band Manasseh. They were born in the silver mines of Oruro, but left as children. Then they ended up putting roots in southern New Hampshire. <laughs> I think we are the only Bolivians in the state, Jose jokes. After all, he hasn't met anyone else in his almost 40 years living here. 
The Lopez Carrasco cling to their music and their culture, but it hasn't been easy. His nephew Dennis, who is in his 20s, was born in Bolivia, but he grew up with mixed feelings about being Hispanic. So throughout um, elementary, middle school, and high school, I was always teased about being Hispanic. You know, affected me in throughout my school years, and now you know I see that I embrace it. I embrace my cult, my Hispanic culture, my Latino culture, and it makes me who I am, and I'm happy to be that. The same goes for the entire family. They celebrate the pride of having a culture to share. Gaby Lozada, NHPR News. Thank you for joining us this week for the New Hampshire News Recap. You can find all the stories featured this morning at nhpr.org. If you missed part of today's segment or you want to catch up on previous weeks, you can find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be here next Friday with more top headlines. I'm Julia Futukawa for Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR. NHPR.